Well, if you would, take that Bible and open it to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue in our exposition. And as you're opening to Ephesians 5, I'd like to just read the text in 8 through 14. We'll close that section out and come to a new one. I believe it's after Easter because next week we have 42 new members or so and uh, I don't know, 8 to 10 baptisms. And then we have Easter Sunday, prioritize that Good Friday service and the Lord's Day on Easter. Those should be wonderful day, a wonderful weekend there. But in Ephesians 5.8, uh, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a precious, precious text in the midst of even the day that we come in. I do remind you as we read from the scripture, and you know this, this is God's word to us. And so we desperately, I desperately want to know what God says that we're to do. And I always believe that as we turn to the text, that just as Paul put a pen to the parchment and wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that he does so today in the hearing and the teaching of the Word of God. Now, as we step into chapter 5, we're studying the radical difference of the old life that was once ours in 422, and now the new life that is ours in Christ in 424. In fact, he said, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we've been saying for the past couple of weeks that the theme here is the ideal of this walk in Christ. Do you remember, look at 4.1. He said, I urge you, I plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, if the church is to glorify God in 321, then the imperative now is for us to walk in a manner worthy, walk in a consistent fashion with the great calling and every spiritual blessing that has been given to you. Then if you look and glance in your text in 417, Paul said this, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do they walk? In the futility of their minds. So here's a worthy walk, but you're not walking in the pattern of your old life. And then if you glance down at chapter 5, he continues in verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he says in 5.2, and to walk in love. So you're a worthy walk, to not walk the way you used to walk before Christ. And now in 5.2, you're to walk in love. And now as we come to this section in 8 through 14, glance down again. He says in verse 8, 
walk as children of light. That's the command, to walk as children of light. He's rolling out of that text regarding the perversion of love. He told us to walk in love, and he said you can't have anything to do with a perverted love in 3 through 6. And then he says in verse 7, therefore, 5-7, do not become partakers with them. In other words, if you're a believer, you're not going to walk in darkness that you were actually redeemed out of is the thought. You're to walk, here's the new metaphor, as children of light. Now what Paul's going to do here in 8 through 14 is tell us how do we walk as children of light in a dark world. Obviously our world is dark and getting darker by the day, you would agree with me, right? Getting darker. I mean we're in the midst of a revolution in our own country and the revolution isn't a good one. We're not evolving, we're devolving. And we're devolving, it seems like, every day. And the culture to which Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus was in a horrendous culture. And so here is, Paul says, your identity in chapter 1 through 3, and now in chapters 4 through 6, here is your responsibility. If you could say it this way, you were to sit, okay, in one through three, you're to walk in four through five, and you're to stand in verse six against the schemes of the devil. And by the way, the best part of Ephesians is coming. We're going to get into the whole section of the roles of a husband and wife. We're going to get into the section of the filling of the Spirit. We'll turn to the section of what a child's responsibility is in the home. And then we're going to get to that famous section on the armor of God. Okay? And so we've got days ahead that you just, you, you want to be here. But here's your identity, your responsibility. Now, we said that this paragraph is rich in metaphor. Rich in the metaphor of light and darkness. In fact, look again at verse 8. You can just see it there. You probably heard it in the reading. For at one time you were darkness. Verse 8. Now you're light in the Lord. Then he tells us to walk as children of light. Then in verse 9 he mentions the fruit of the light. Then in verse 11 he talks about the unfruitful deeds of darkness Then in verse 12, he mentions that we're exposing the things that are secret and hidden. Those things that are secret and hidden are exposed by the light. In other words, they become visible. You're the light. They become visible when you expose them, and we'll talk about that. And then he says in verse 14 that anything that becomes visible is light, and then he ends with Christ will shine on you. And so it's rich in metaphor of light and darkness. And the command this morning, the overarching one, is to walk as children of light. Now we're studying in this section, if you will, that Paul is revealing four transforming truths to walk in the light. In other words, he commanded you, commanded me to walk in the light. And now he's going to back that up with these truths of actually how to do that. We've looked at the first two. I'll be brief here. He reveals, number one, a transforming conversion. 
verse 8. He says, for you at one time were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord and walk as children of light. He reveals this conversion that we have come to Christ, that we have been transformed. We were once this and now we've become this. And it's not just that you were surrounded by darkness. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you were darkness, which is a frightening thought if you're here without Christ. You were darkness. You're not just in the midst of it. You're not just in the realm of it. And that was our life before Christ. You were darkness. And of course, Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were then a child of wrath and sons of disobedience. He says, you once were darkness, but now, here's this conversion, you're light in the Lord. An amazing thought here by Paul. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. And walk in the light while the light's with you. But then we know from the Sermon on the Mount, he would command you, every one of you who names the name of Christ, you. Then the thought would be in 514 of Matthew, you and you alone are the light of the world. So we were transformed. But secondly, he not only gives us a transforming conversion, he gives us a transforming command, and it's there in verse 8, to walk as children of light. He's using a metaphor there, walk. What do you mean? Well, light obviously illuminates, light obviously reveals, light obviously causes growth through photosynthesis, even as we would know that in our day. We, I came up the other night when we got home from Albania, and I noticed that in a matter of a little over a week, everything was a lot greener. The roses had bloomed a little bit. Light causes growth. It does physically through photosynthesis. It does in our life spiritually. Light exposes darkness. Light reveals truth. Light is holiness. Obviously, those are characteristics of God, and to walk in the light is to obey his command, to imitate God, to imitate Christ. We are walking as children of light, and let me just say this to you, you can't do both at the same time. I mean, I just say to you, you're either walking towards the light, or you're in darkness and are darkness, but you can't do both at the same time. You can't live in sin and claim to be in the light. You're either in the light or you're in darkness, and so you can't do. Now, you say both at the same time. What does this walk look like? Thirdly, okay, we're picking up the text. He reveals our transforming conduct, So he gives us a command to walk in the light. Then he gives us a transforming conduct. It's a practical explanation of what walking in the light looks like. And you might even ask the question, how do we know if we're walking in the light? And here would be the answer is light bears fruit. Look at verse 9. It bears fruit. For it, It says there, for the fruit... It's an interesting phrase of the light. is found in all that is good and right and true. 
he mentions the fruit of the light, and it, it would re- literally read, in all goodness, in all righteousness, and in all truth is the thought. But light bears fruit. Now, he mentions this thought here in verse 9, for the fruit of the light. And the idea there is the outworking, if you will, of the light is fruit. It's the outworking of our conversion. And the outworking of our conversion is the production of fruit. It is the result of walking in the light. As you walk in the light, you are going to reveal, this is not hard, but this is what it means, a harvest. In other words, it's fruit that is produced by the light. Now, that's a little different phrase. You're probably familiar with Galatians 5, where it speaks of the fruit of the what? Of the Spirit. Here, it's another way. It's the fruit of the light. I don't know if you're holding a translation that actually says the fruit of the Spirit, but this is, a, is proper. The best manuscripts have it to be the fruit of the light. And obviously, the fruit of the light stands in contrast. Look at verse 11, where it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So, here's what Paul is saying. Spiritual fruit is the test of a genuine faith. It is the test of a true faith. In other words, your assurance doesn't really have to do with membership, though that's good. Doesn't have anything to do with your baptism, though that would be in obedience. Doesn't have anything to do with financial giving, though certainly we're commanded to do that. It doesn't have anything to do with your attendance. You could be here today and living in darkness. So here is the fruit. And in this third point, he's revealing a transforming conduct, if you will, that in the life of a believer, the conduct produces fruit. Do you remember when Jesus said, you could finish this statement, you will know them by their, what? By their fruits. In other words, you can test what is genuine, test what is false, by the fruit that they bear. And so all true believers bear fruit. You say, well, what kind of conduct is he talking about here? Three virtues, okay? Three virtues. He speaks of all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true, all just, it's all goodness, if you will, all righteousness, and all truth. Now, obviously, those three, if you just looked at them, they're characteristics of God. But if you've been transformed and if you have the Holy Spirit, you are to display these graces. You are to walk in the light, in the command, and the conduct here is to bear fruit. Now let me remind you that these are the fruits of conversion. These are not prerequisites to salvation. You know that. This is not how you get saved. He dealt with that on our position in one through three. He's now into the imperative to say that in light of what he's done, you're to live this way. 
So let's just touch on those, okay? He says, in all, I'm going to say it, goodness. In all that is good. What is goodness? What is this word? Well, in Psalm 118, verse 1, I think many of you know that one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Goodness and it is an attribute of God. Now, what's fascinating, I don't mean to get into an academic argument with you. The Greek language is very specific. There are words in the Greek language that translate good all over the New Testament. And uh, there are three, actually. And uh, which one is it? Well, there's a word in the Greek language that's in the New Testament called kalos. And if something is good, it's free from defects. It would even carry the idea if it was good, kalos, it would be beautiful. There's a second word called krestos. And that just means something is useful. This is a generalization. Then there's a third word called agathos. Uh, sometimes they would name their children Agatha, uh, and the Greeks did. But Agathos speaks of moral excellence. It's, it's the word that is active to others. That's our word here in verse 9. He says there, for the light is found in all that is Agathos, all that is good. It is, what is it? It is a moral excellence it is a goodness that touches people with a morally excellent virtue. Now, we, you remember in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. So goodness is a virtue here. Goodness is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, here's the ideal of being active to others. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the virtue of a believer. Rather than living in malice, back to chapter 4, rather than living in bitterness, Rather than living in an unforgiving state. No, it's just the opposite. There's, so, there's a moral excellence in the life of a believer. Do you remember when Paul said in chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Uh, and we've been created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. In other words, this is what marks a believer. You don't look like the world. You don't live in sexual immorality like the world. You don't live in fornication. No, your, your conduct is, is one of fruit towards other people, if you will. In fact, goodness is the opposite. Look back just in 428. Look what it says there. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor. And then it says in the ESV, doing, it says, honest work, that's agathos, doing good work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, rather than being a thief and using your hands to be a kleptomaniac, you've been redeemed, you've been saved, the old man has been discarded, the new man is put on, and rather than taking, you're actually doing honest 
and good work. In fact, look at 431. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And as you put those things away, you're replacing it with a goodness, if you will. It's a moral excellence towards others. Obviously, this doesn't save us, but here's the point. It's the conduct of a transformed life. In fact, look at 417. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you, it's a negative command, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Listen, when you're a believer, this is a virtue that ought to come out of our life. Rather than taking, we're giving. Rather than speaking evil and using evil words, we're we're building up, if you will. So one is goodness. Secondly, I'm going to call it righteousness. Look at the text again. It's found in all that is good, verse 9, and right. It's righteousness. Obviously, righteousness is an attribute of God. But we often associate righteousness with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that was given to us that we couldn't work our way into heaven. So we needed what the reformers called an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from the outside. And we were given that righteousness through faith in Christ. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here Paul's after something a little different. Here he mentions the word right or the word righteousness. And he's after... Uh, a lifestyle. Look at verse 24 of chapter 4, where he says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness, in this sense, is doing what is right before God. You walk in the light. You conform to God's character. You conform to his standard of righteousness. In fact, when confronted by sin, you fall on your face, even as a believer, of something in your life and my life is not right. John said this. Do you remember in 1 John years back when we exposited through that? 1 John 2.29. If you know... John says that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That's the point here. If he's righteous, then the one who knows Christ is going to practice righteousness. That man, that woman has been born of God. You say, but Scott, I've gone to people. I've confronted them on their sin and they still live in their sin. That's frightening. Because they may claim Christ, but if they're not practicing righteousness, they're not born of Christ. Now, you say, well, Scott, that's pretty strong. No, that's the Bible, okay? And I have to teach you the Bible. You, you, to, to, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. 
It doesn't mean perfection, but the direction of your life is towards goodness, towards righteousness, and spiritual maturity, beloved, is a progressive transformation from the deeds of darkness to righteous conduct in our behavior before God. That's the thought. But he gives one more. Would you look at it there in verse 9? He mentions the word true. It's the word for truth. Aletheia. It is again an attribute of God. You say, but Scott, that's his character. But these are attributes that he has that we share. Goodness, righteousness, uh, in the sense that it's lived out. And now truth, if you will. I like that word. What does this mean? It just speaks here of integrity. True is you're true to yourself, if you will, true to God. It speaks of honesty. You're not lying. You're not covering your sin. You're not living in your sin. You're not continuing in your sin when you're confronted. It's integrity, honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, anything, beloved, I guess I could say, that is opposed to hypocrisy. Oh, there might be some hypocrisy in us in in ways that we hide from God, but not for long. Because you'll either be confronted or you'll become so guilty by the Holy Spirit in your heart that you'll want truth in your life that you're going to continue to confess sin. So here it's opposed to the hypocrisy of the old life, and certainly it's opposed to every form of sexual immorality in the context. So this is what Paul says. This is the the thought. Here's our transforming conduct. It says this. I like how Paul puts it together in Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner, he says, there's the idea in Colossians. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's now your Lord. And he says, fully pleasing to him. And then he says, bearing fruit in every good work. This is the life of a believer. You might say, but pastor, I know so-and-so. And and I know that many years ago, they were inside the church. And many years ago, they were inside the youth group. And many years ago, they became a member. And for 18 years, they were with Listen, that's not assurance. Assurance is this conduct. Assurance is goodness, righteousness, and truth, if you will. You say, but how do I, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And the answer would be yes. Look at verse 10, Paul does. He says there, all that is good and right and true, verse 10, and try to discern, I love this, what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, that word try to discern in the ESV is is the idea of to prove something. This is interesting. To verify the genuineness of something. It's, It's the word to test something, but if you put it together, to test or prove the genuineness of something. You say, well, what is the aim of this testing? Trying to discern, look at the text in verse 10 again, what is pleasing to the Lord. Here, to test and to examine thoughts and words and actions that honor God and please God. That's a believer. 
You say, but, but pastor, I've gone to my parents, I've gone to my grandparents, I've gone to my nephew, I've gone to my niece, I've gone to my grandchildren, and they don't respond. That's a frightening reality. Because apart from this kind of conduct, this is what a true believer is. In fact, let me say it this way. A believer isn't trying to hide their sin, continue in sin, continue in sexual immorality. They're actually just the opposite. They're trying to test and prove the genuineness of their faith. They're trying to, look at the last phrase in verse 10, trying to discern what is, here's a believer. This, you just make this your definition. This is the gospel when it comes to you. Trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay? All I know <laughs> is when I was 14 and I came to Christ, bowed my knee, you've heard me share that before, and my heart changed. My life changed. My motives changed. My disposition changed. My desires changed. My affections changed. And instead of me pleasing myself, I couldn't really explain it. Because the Holy Spirit came into my heart, caused me to be born again, my heart ever was what pleases the Lord. Isn't that true of you? Now listen, you say, well, Scott, were you obedient all the time? And my answer would be, of course not. And that's the thought that I, that was bizarre to me. That even though I wanted to do the things that I used to do with no remorse, all of a sudden now, when I did something that I had no problem doing before, I was all of a sudden in my conscience on fire. It's like the Holy Spirit was just tapping me. You don't do that anymore, Scott. I know, but I want to do that. No, Scott, you don't do that anymore. That, Scott, that's the old man. That's not the new man. Scott, the old man is going to move you towards this, but the new man is calling you towards holiness and righteousness. Isn't this 2 Corinthians 5, 9? Whether we're home or away, Paul said, we make it our aim, I love that, to please him. This is the life of a believer. So here's what it means to walk in the light. There's a conversion. There's a command. There's a conduct. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, but test, there's our word, dokimatso, test, trying to discern, test everything. And then it says, hold to what is good. This is the life of a believer. I think Chip read this last week in Philippians 1.9. Here's Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. Here's how he's praying. And with all discernment, and then this phrase, do you see it? So that you may approve, there's our word, test, to try, to discern, that you may approve what is excellent. And he says there, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, a true man of God, a True woman of God, it's not that sin can't come into our life, but it's just to say that a true man of God is, 
a true woman of God is discerning here and approving what is excellent so as to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let me just ask you, if Christ came today, are you ready? I mean, if he could come at any moment at the second coming, at the rapture, are you ready as I speak, as you hear me? Or is there something that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life that you need to escape from. But here the believer is proving, is testing what is, I like that, excellent. And so as to be pure and blameless before the day of the Lord. Remember when Paul said this in Romans 12, you know it, it's up on the screen. Do not be conformed. Stop posing is the word after the fashion of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by, here it is, testing, you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the believer, far from wanting to live in darkness, far from a woman wanting to live in darkness, far from not confessing sin, the, the life, the conduct, the, the pursuit, I should say, of a believer is that they want to discern what the will of God is, and so they're not going to step outside of his counsel. So the measuring stick for a true believer is to ask, is my behavior pleasing to the Lord? Not I walked an aisle, I prayed, I, I did all that stuff, I've told you, at eight. Walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, and from eight to 14, my life never changed. No, when God transforms your heart, your aim is to please the Lord. You're not so concerned, high school students, with what your peer group thinks. Your aim is to please the Lord. Men, you're not so concerned with rising the ladder of success as you want your life to be full of integrity and pleasing to the Lord. Maybe I should say it from my background. Lots of pastors falling because a lot of pastors have their entire focus on success of ministry rather than holiness. And so here, the aim of a believer is to please the Lord. You say, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Thanks for asking. Look at verse 11. He's going to tell us. Look there. He says, after he gives us a conversion a command, a conduct, he reveals a transforming charge. Look, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Here's a charge. So from the conduct to, to the charge for you and for me. Here's the charge. Take no part. Don't even let it be named among you. What? Don't let sexual immorality, impurity, greediness of sexual lust. Don't even let it be named among you in this place. In other words, you take no part, not so much with people who are in the world, but you take no part with people who are claiming this and you don't participate in their unfruitful deeds 
of darkness. In fact, look at that in verse 11. It says they're works of darkness. What is that? Those are mentioned, as I've already read, in chapter 4, 17 through 19. It's the sexual immorality, the impurity, the filthy talk, the crude jesting, the crude joking. Let, take no part of that. And he mentions, look at the text again, that these, these works of darkness are, he says they're unfruitful. I just plead with you, what it means there and what Paul is saying is they're unproductive. They're barren. You may think you're getting something, but you're living a lie. You may think you're gaining something, but whatever you're pursuing outside of the counsel of the Lord is unfruitful. Do you remember, certainly I don't have to turn you there, in the sower and the seed in one of those uh, soils that the seed was cast in 419 of Mark. It says the cares of the world, the unfruitful, it says, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entered in and choked the word, and it proved, if you will, unfruitful. In other words, it's barren. So he says, take no uh, part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Okay, Scott, I get that. That's somewhat of a of a, a negative, hey, stay away from the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Is there something I might and must do? Yeah, don't take any part of that. But look what he says for you to do. He says, but instead, and I'm in verse 11, expose them. What do you mean expose them? To bring them to light. To reveal what is hidden. To correct. Now, you know, I, I suppose I think if... Paul says that, you might, having, you might be having a tough time with that. You're the light. Don't participate with them. As the light, you are called to expose the darkness, to reveal the darkness. You say, well, what, what does he mean by that? Well, two ways, okay, two ways. Uh, number one, by our words, first, and then secondly, by our witness. I, I think by our words, because it says in 1 Timothy 5.20, speaking of an elder, to rebuke in the presence of all. And so if you're going to expose, if someone's in sin, you don't hide that. You don't just say, oh boy, that's really bad. We need to cover that up in the local church. Let's just slide it under the rug. Let's just not communicate to the flock. No, I'm just telling you, it says, Paul told Timothy, you rebuke in the presence of all. Titus 1.9, speaking of the role of an elder. This is what an elder does. He has to do that. But number Titus 1.9, you refute those who contradict. In other words, as you see there, you, you hold firm that they may be able to instruction sound doctrine. You rebuke those who contradict. You rebuke them. You, not, you are not called to be silent. And I just pray. You pray for our elder board. We don't ever want to do that with you. We, we don't ever want to hide something from you. In fact, far from it, Paul told Titus, you rebuke those who contradict. My point is, these are words, right? In fact, I didn't do the first one. If your brother sins against you, go and what? Tell him his fault. Tell him. 
you need to use words. Okay, Scott, I need to expose these things. How do I do that? You have to speak to people. You have to go to them in private. In fact, maybe as I speak, the Spirit of God is working in your heart. You need to go to someone today. Someone who names Christ. Someone in your family. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be over the top. You have as a responsibility in the light to not participate, but to expose it. One of the ways you do that is you speak to people. Galatians 6.1. If anyone, anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should, does it say it there? There. Restore him. You, you say, well, Scott, what are you getting at? You can't be silent. You can't be neutral. You can't say, boy, that's not my responsibility. I'm telling you it is your responsibility. This is why the church of Jesus Christ is so weak across the board. There, this, is, this should be on our heart to pull people aside. Do you do it in a prideful way? Oh, no, because it says there, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You're watching. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted and bear one another's burdens. But you have to go to them in grace and in kindness and tell them. You, you say, well, why would I do that? Because you're the light. It would be like walking into the room in the middle of the night and turning a light on to find a cockroach or some other pest that is fleeing for cover. They hate the light. They run from the light. And in this measure, you're called with your words to expose the light in gentleness, sharing the gospel, sharing truth with them, sharing light with them. And I know that this cuts, you know, this is counterintuitive to our culture because we're so nice and we're so loving. You say, what's at stake? The glory of God. You say, what's at stake? The holiness of this church. You say, what's at stake? Those seven children that were before us. And so he just says, expose it, words. Secondly, though, and this has got to be his heart, by our witness, okay, this is also a charge to believers to let our light shine. And what he means is our very life to expose the darkness. In other words, it's by your words, yes, and it's by your life. I like Philippians, you prove yourselves. Paul said in Philippians 2.15, to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you whom you appear as lights in the world. So you're a light by your very life. The next verse is holding fast the word of life. You're exposing darkness by your words, by your witness. And it's done through the teaching of the word of God. You say, why is this? Well, look at verse 12. He said it's shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. Boy, I mean, it's shameful, but evidently Disney has no problem with that. Paul said it's shameful. He said, look at verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in the secret. They're, in other words, they're repulsive. 
repulsive. Look at verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. We, we understand that. For anything that becomes visible is light. Darkness hides the ugly realities of evil. Light makes them visible. Then evil is seen for what it really is and truly is. It's wicked. It becomes visible. It's made known is the thought. It's clear. It it becomes visible. And this is our charge by our words and by our lifestyle to reveal that sin is hidden. In other words, you pray for grace, but you can't ignore sin. Let me just say, you can't ignore sin in the life of your children. Forget the world. If you see your child going another way, you need to, you need to talk to them. I was on a plane somewhere with Patty, and this little boy was just having a tough time, just screaming on the plane. And I leaned over to my wife. I said, is it just that his ears are popping, or is he defiant? And Patty said, oh, I think he's defiant. So we got up as the plane landed, and this three, four-year-old, his dad was holding him, and the three-year-old was slapping, oh, sorry, um, <laughs> slapping his dad in the face. And I think, wait till that young boy becomes a teenager. You, you, you at time, I didn't say anything to him. I, I thought that at that point, uh, we were just exiting the plane, but I thought his boy was hitting his father. But, you know, as we get with people, we can't turn a blind eye, whether by words of reproof or by witness, or we need to be a light. That's our charge. Listen, let me encourage you. Maybe some of you have gone to someone, and they didn't listen. And then you've gone to them again, and they still didn't listen. Thank you for being righteous. Thank you for going to people because you care about their soul. You care about their life. You need to go to people. You need to talk to them. You need to love them. You need to come in humility. But if you know, you must go. He's a pastor. That's for you. No. If you know, you must go is the thought. Now, the last thought here is in verse 14, and this, wow, we're out of time, but listen, we'll pick that up. Uh, That's an interesting verse. What does that mean? Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's some thought there if, if he's talking to an unbeliever, do you think that? It could be, I don't know. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Sounds like a call to salvation. Uh, Could be, but it could be to a believer. You, who are the lights, awake, wake up, and get up, and rise from the dead. He's already caused you to be raised to the newness of life, and Christ will shine on you. That's so important. We're going to pick that up next time, okay? Would you bow your head with me?